0: what is going on sense fans welcome to episode 22 of the everyday sense podcast i'm jack richardson joined by brendan parks and brendan uh first before we even start we want to thank everyone for the influx of subscribers we had over the last week we we went way over the 500 mark that we were trying to hit and uh we have we have an internal goal that we will now i mean i don't want to say make public but we're trying to hit a thousand before the season starts which we we think is possible you guys are awesome everyone who listens Um, again just like subscribe if you're not subscribed already it means a lot goes a long way so we we are very happy with all the progress that we've made it's 22 episodes in Uh, it's been a lot of fun honestly and we're right in the middle of july here a lot going on in Sens land so we'll we'll get into all of that but brendan how are you doing on this friday
1: july 7th i'm doing well yeah we've got uh, got a couple signings to talk about i've been patiently not so patiently awaiting the alex to brink trade all week, every single day, I've looked at my phone constantly and been uh, refreshing and, and scrolling up on Twitter and just nothing yet. So hopefully we're closing in. But yeah, just want to thank everybody as well. We are 429 subscribers from the thousand mark. So I mean, this is episode 22. And we started this at the end of April. So it's been just over two months, like two months and a week or two. Um, I mean, we're on pace to, to eclipse a thousand. So Hopefully, August isn't too dead because typically August is like the dead month of the offseason after free agency. But hey, the longer this Debrinkit thing drags on, that's content for August right there. If it's like the end of July, the arbitration date, you know, hopefully we don't get to that point. But I think we'll have some uh, plenty of stuff to discuss, right? Like, I think the lineup for next season is going to look a lot different than we're projecting right now, just based on what they get and then who they sign and stuff. So I think uh, late July and August could be a little more exciting than uh, than years past. Yeah,
0: like we said, lots going on in, in Ottawa Senators land. We've got development camp just wrapping up. We have we have new deals for depth players that we can get into, and we will. Um, let's start with the one that kind of happened earlier this week. It was right after episode 21, so we didn't get a chance to touch on it, but we've talked about the player enough to have, you know, some kind of idea of where we both stand on where the guy is. So the Ottawa Senators re-signed Travis Hamanick to a two-year uh 1.1 AAV deal with a no movement clause for Hamannick in that deal. Um, we, we both, I know we both had a lot of thoughts on it on Twitter at the time anyway, um, but it's at the end of the day, it's a depth signing. So it's, it's a depth defenseman. And that's what the team's calling it. If they, if, you know, if we want to believe it is or not, that's different, but um, I, w- I don't want to say initial reaction because it's been a while, but after, you know, they obviously signed Zach McEwen to do a three-year deal, but that's different. We'll get into that in a little bit. In a a minute, sorry, I should say. Um, So what are your thoughts on adding Hamnick to a a pretty crowded and almost already slotted in blue line?
1: Well, I'm okay with it. I I did figure that they would re-sign him. I thought it would be for one year. I think everybody did. The two years is a little weird. I'm guessing, same with the no movement clause, I know people got angry about that. I don't really care about that. Like, it's whatever. I'm guessing it's just to get the the cap hit down. Like, that was my assumption on the two years. Because I know Dorian said originally they offered him a one-year deal and he said he wanted more money on it. Um, so maybe it was like a one-year, 1.1 $1. $1 million dollar offer, and then he said, you know, okay, I'll agree to the 1.1 $1. $1 million, but I need two years, and I want a no movement clause. It's probably how the negotiations went. Like he most likely said he'd take less money for that, which is fine. Um, the ironic thing is his 1.1 $1. $1 million makes it even harder to keep DeBrinket for the year. I, I was doing the math again this morning, so I think he's all but gone at this point, just because of how like they wouldn't be making these signings if their plan was to keep him. It just doesn't help their cap situation. Um, on Hamonic, I know. Like I was pretty critical of him because he gives me PTSD to the Eric Ed Branson days of just this this bigger defenseman, veteran guy, good leader and everything, absolutely, but he makes a lot of unforced errors with the puck. Uh he's your classic, like defensive defenseman who's not that good defensively. Like he makes a lot of blunders in the defensive zone. Um he did have a decent season. I mean, I know people like to say he was great with Sanderson. I have a tweet, um, which literally proves that he was not great with Sanderson. Uh, I'm okay with having him as the seventh defenseman. I said that earlier this summer too. I think he'd be a good number seven. The problem is Nikita Zaitsev syndrome with DJ Smith. Like, I'm terrified to even say um, when the season starts, could he do the whole Shabbat, Chikrin, Sanderson thing on the left side and then keep like Hamannik in the top four on the right side? I pray that doesn't happen, but I'm sorry. like, Based on what we've seen from DJ, I'm pretty convinced that at some point when things aren't going perfectly he's going to put Sanderson back with Hamannick, and he's going to revert to what we saw last year and just try to mix it up, and I do not like that potential at all. I think Hammonick should be a guy who's your seventh defender who comes in for injuries or plays on the bottom pairing, plays like 13 minutes a night. He can be on the penalty kill blocking shots. That's fine, but he's not someone you rely on at this point in his career. He's just not that guy. Like You can't have these errors anymore, right? So uh, I'm fine with the signing. I'm fine with the money, 1.1, whatever. That's fine, um, but DJ Smith, like, man, do not treat this guy like Nikita Zaitsev. Like, you got to keep him on a leash. Like, he cannot be a critical member of this team.
0: Yeah, I, I had a huge problem with the signing at the at the beginning, but it wasn't the player. I like Hamannik, and I think he's a great, like you said, I think a perfect 6-7, whatever, battle out for that last spot. Um, should not be playing top four minutes. That's, that is just known. Dorian said, and I'm going to mention that Dorian said, it's a huge theme of what I'm going to go on here, but he did say that their top four is pretty locked in. Uh, so, so any signing they make on the blue line would be for depth. So this should be for depth because their top four is locked in. He also likes to say that DJ makes the lineup decisions. So to me, again, once again, third time, Dorian said JBD has a spot to lose. He said that twice. He said it at the end of the year press conference in Belleville or interview in Belleville, and he said it again with the Locked On Senators podcast or in, in, in early June. I want to say they did it. um So he said twice JBD spot to lose, and then signed him to a two-year one-way deal. Now motivation for the player sure but are you gonna sit there and look me look us in the eyes and say that if hammock has a better camp than jbd he's not gonna be in that spot that's fine i i find that hard to believe i think jbd is a better player and i think he's better served in that role problem that i have with what dorian said too is at the end of your press conference like just full-on in april he said we're comfortable giving hammock a one-year deal we will, like he, we've offered him one like or we give him the opportunity to come back on a one-year deal. And then you give him two years and a no movement clause. Look, I'm all for re-upping players who want to stay in Ottawa, because as we're seeing with the Debrinket situation, that's a bit hard to do. And not that he doesn't want to be here, but it's 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 important to recognize that in a smaller Canadian market when people want to stay. And I, I love what Travis Hamnick brought. He's awesome with the media. He's He was great with Sanderson off the ice and maybe even on the bench, but together they weren't great together as a pairing. Um, but there there comes a point and it, I think to me it speaks more to the GM's you know priorities almost right you mentioned that they can't get the Brinkett now signed if they wanted to they'd have to move other money out because of this signing I think it just came at a weird time and it's I don't care about the two years because we'll talk about McEwen again in a second and I'll, I'll, I'll back that because I think I think that was a good signing but the hammock one it's it's he just kind of backtracked and it makes him look kind of weak let's say and let's say it's it's a different scenario like if we're talking about Vladimir Tarasenko here and you know it came out that Pierre was only comfortable giving him three years and then they end up giving him four or whatever or like Corpusalo, right five years is a lot you're probably good three four years but if the fifth year gets him to stay you do it because it's Corpusalo, he's going to be one of your best goalies Hamnick's a depth defenseman you can go and do that other way like in other places they just signed Matt and Paolo, too. He's destined for the AHL now. There's no room for him. Like, they can't keep him. So that's why it frustrates me. It's well, he's And, not and Hammond it can't he,
1: be sent down either just on that point because he's got the, the no-movement no, clause. He yeah, can't the no-movement
0: clause is you can't move down the 401, Travis. You are staying in Ottawa, which, again, I don't mind, but that's one angle of it. It's just the angle that, yeah, I you know, I tweeted initially. I was like, Dorian lied, and I don't want to say he lied. I It was probably an exaggeration, but... He backpedaled for a depth defenseman. That like that that should tell you everything you need to know. I think it's incredibly frustrating. Um, at the time that they got Hammonick to third round pick, I think it was worth it. I think it was worth it. At the time that they traded for him, though, do it in the summer. You did not need to do it at the deadline at that time. What was it, 15 games? Like just both transact transactions involving Travis Hamonick have been a bit of a gong show. And it's not because of the player. Like you can have your doubts about him defensively and all that. And like the PK actual numbers, I don't know how they were, but he was a key component to one of the best penalty kills in the league that can't be overlooked and made Jake Sanderson, the stud defenseman feel comfortable, which has been pretty noted. That's valuable. And I like, I, I've said it three times now. I like Travis Hamnick. I just have such a problem with the way Pierre Dorian went about it. Why even say the one year thing at the end of the, at the end of the season of the press conference? Why even say that? Just say we might bring him back. That's fine. Saying we might bring him back on a one-year deal or we're comfortable bringing him back on one year is so infuriating to me. And then you go and give him a two-year deal. It's just a kick in the face as a fan, which a week ago, he said he likes being transparent with the fans. So I don't know what's going on here. I don't like it at all. Um, it's it's infuriating and I'm getting hot about it again. It was a week ago.
1: Well, Pierre has always been kind of known for this uh, this two faces of Pierre, the way he talks to the media and the fans and he says things and then the way he actually goes about doing things. Uh, The classic example of that right now is then we don't negotiate through the media, but that's like all that's been happening all summer long here. So yeah, I mean, I I understand your frustration and and with Hamannik, I'm more critical of the player and how I'm very concerned about DJ's use of the player. Um, I just have the numbers. I'm going to talk about some numbers with Hamannik just because I don't think people ever care to actually like look at Hamannik's numbers. He's one of those guys that everyone just like accepts as a veteran who's a good leader. So it doesn't matter if he's bad on the ice. so this is just with Sanderson and Hamannick, the pairing, because I know I put like the top three pairings based on the numbers, and this was certainly not one of them, and somebody asked for it and was like, well, where's the Sanderson-Hamanek pairing? And I'm like, for one, they played like 300 minutes more than anybody else, which is kind of insane, but they had a negative 10 goal differential, like it was not good. um Their numbers went up throughout the year, but compared to the other pairings, they just they were lacking. Uh, I will say Hamanek does bring some value on the penalty kill, if we look at his... Where are we here? If we look at his goals against per 60, he had the second least on the penalty kill at 5.39. The only player less than that was Zaitsev, actually. And that's just how many goals are scored when they're on the ice on the penalty kill on average. Um, Expected goals against two, he was sixth. Uh, He blocked a lot of shots on the penalty kill. He also had the second most giveaways on the penalty kill. So it just kind of comes back in the end because he's just kind of a giveaway machine in that sense. Um, But yeah, I mean, on this signing... I think that Hamannik and he is a good guy in the the room, and like everyone's been saying, we want to keep players who want to be here, right? Because that's not a common thing for the Sens, and he has really talked up Ottawa. Like he said, he loves it, his family loves it, he loves that small town feel, uh, and he's kind of a good ambassador for the team. Like that's how I see it. I also see it as yeah, Pierre Dorian giving out two years, and after saying he wasn't going to give out two years, uh, and kind of changing his his perspective on things. It's just it's kind of been a blunder for Pierre so far this summer for me, and. I find it bizarre when people don't think that, like when people think it's going as planned and it's going well so far. I think it could if he like capitalizes on a Debrinket trade and signs a Tarasenko or a Tatar and the lineup looks good again, we'll all be happy. But at the same time, I think so far, based on what we've seen, like criticism is warranted. I mean, I agree with you on Corporal too, but they did overpay for him as well. I'm fine with it. I'm content. They needed the goalie. He was like the only one left, but there's no denying they did take a pretty big gamble and that could easily... But I like what somebody said on Twitter, and I was thinking this, but I couldn't put it into words. Pierre is signing contracts right now, like a guy who knows he's not going to have to worry about them down the line. Like, he's signing, he's like, yeah, I'll give you I'll give you seven years, like, Jonas. Like, I'll, I'll give you all these years, because guess what, I'm probably not going to be here then. So I'll just send it to the next GM, right? But I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm okay with so far, but I also think that Pierre deserves some criticism for his moves to this point as of July 7th.
0: Yeah, it hasn't been a bad offseason, but it hasn't been a good one. And like you said, the Dabrinka thing is going to define the offseason one way or another, just like it did last year, kind of, right? Um, I also saw someone on Twitter, though, say that he was he, he said they were going to bring in depth pieces on one-year deals, kind of, you know, shorter term, one-year deal, one whatever it is on, on price to bolster their already long-term roster. They haven't given out a one-year deal yet. It's all been, other than the European signings, it's all been multi-years Except for Eric Brandstrom, the only one-year deal. Uh, that's what bothers me. It's like I, I'm not doubting that they tried to get Brandstrom for a couple more years. Maybe it was just the agent, but I had a problem with that. That was the first deal they signed. It was on July 1st. The problem I had with that one was why give him two million, which was probably the max that he was going to get on a sh- on a one-year deal. Like it just handcuffed you, and then you go sign Hamanek to 1.1, and then you get McEwen at league minimum on a three-year deal. It just you're right I think it's I think whoever, whoever that tweet was from, I think is absolutely on the money. he's just throwing term, which is a dangerous game because that can hinder the team and the new GM that comes in for a lot. Not that I think Hammoninick or McEwen are going to be a problem next season with the cap. They won't be. and that's not the, that's not the point. The point is he's he's lying when he's saying we're only comfortable doing a one year. he's got the opportunity to come back on a one year. and then saying you want to be transparent with the fans. And then a couple days later, giving him two years on a no move clause. Like the priorities are shifting on the fly, which I understand this job is all about. You have to, uh, but it's infuriating as a fan, especially with a GM who is clearly like his job's on the line here this season and this upcoming year. Um, so nothing again. Like again, I, I know there are problems with Travis Hamonic just in in those roles, um, and and maybe DJ just plays them all the time. I don't know. The reason I don't like it, DJ or not, it's, let's say he is the sixth defenseman and JBD's not there. Like if Hamnick objectively just has a better camp, which is possible, right? Could have a good training camp. If that happens, I don't like the versatility of the top six defenseman anymore that I liked with JBD. You can't throw Travis Hamnick with Thomas Shabbat and be okay. See, but and... I feel
1: like DJ will, and he'll be happy with no, it. No, <laughs> I know. That's the thing.
0: That's the thing. So that's what I'm saying. Like even without DJ, I have a problem with it. Now with DJ there, I, I'm, I am not confident at all. Um Yeah, that's that's the problem I have with it. But because, again, too, I love I love the idea of doing Chikrin, Sanderson, Shabbat on different pairings. you can have a stud on the ice, a number one defenseman on the ice at all times. If you have a defenseman as their partner like a JBD who need a
1: good compliment, like like, in my mind, Hamanik, especially in the first half last season, Hamanik anchored Sanderson. That's the way I put it. And again, he was great as a veteran. I think it was good for Sanderson as a rookie. I'll credit him for that having the stability or the kind of like confidence in his partner as, you know, as someone he can lean on, but I think like on the ice with the puck, I think he was anchoring Sanderson and Sanderson still had such a great season, but I think he could have done even better if I'm not mistaken and I could be, but Sanderson I think had either a positive goal differential or almost, I think with Zuby was negative 1, but with every other partner and then with Hamilton it was negative 10. Like it was just uh, way way worse and I just looked at that and I said it all season and they kept like ignoring the numbers and just putting them back out there. Uh, and I think now Sanderson not being a rookie anymore, they really need to avoid that. Like he can carry a partner now he, he can, like, he doesn't need to be, or he shouldn't be anchored. He should be able to have somebody who's a compliment, right? Like he looked great with Zub at the end of the year.
0: He's the best player back there. He's their best defenseman on any given night. I'll, I'll Like, I don't think that's crazy to say maybe Jacob Chickard, if he stays healthy right now anyway, but as of last, after, as of the end of the year, Jake Sanderson is the best defenseman on the team. So yeah, you, you can. But you can't make the same mistake you made with Shabbat and throw him with uh, Zaitsev type for the first three years, four years, whatever it is. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a puzzling move. Let's put it like that. I think that's a good way to to put it, not in terms of bringing the player back. It's like we said, a good seventh D. And we've also mentioned that Dorian's job is on the line. So is DJ's. He's probably the first to go if things don't go well at the beginning of the year. So um, we'll see how it all unfolds. I do. I I mean, I'm happy for Travis Hamanick. He kind of Revitalized his, I don't want to say revitalized, but you know, obviously he's also taking a huge pay cut. Uh, in the last three he was making three million dollars last year now down to 1.1. 1. 1. Um, so the AAV is not a problem, the, the salary is not a problem, it's just the priorities. And if another team was offering him two years or even one year with more money, like just let him walk, it's not that big of a deal, really. It, it isn't at all. Um, so that, that's what's that's what's bothering me with that.
1: My one other point with Hammondick, just to be a little more optimistic on him specifically, because I've been very critical of him. Is he was also like in fairness to Sanders and everything, he was also subjected to playing that top four role. Like he averaged, I think, eighteen thirty four last year for ice time, and I just feel like that's about five minutes too much for him at this point in his career. Maybe when he was younger, that's fine, but like he's he's getting up there now. He's past his prime. I think like we haven't really seen him in a bottom pairing role. I say seventh defenseman would be good. He could be good on the bottom pairing. I mean, when, if he's only playing thirteen minutes a night, maybe that you know mental workload, he he's making less errors, right? He's able to manage the puck better. He's not having these same problems that he was having. Like, as much as he shouldn't have been paired with Sanderson, it also wasn't his choice. He was just subjected to playing on the second pairing and playing way too much. And that's kind of what I said about him, too, is I don't want to hate on him because I love him as a person, love him as a guy in the room, but almost like Shabbat, he's being overworked based on what he should be for him specifically, right? Like, I don't think they realize that. So maybe if he was on the bottom pairing with Brandstrom, he looks like a better player. He's a more versatile player. He's not making the mistakes. So optimistically, I'll, I'll allow that. I just really hope they don't revert to well, this seemed to work last year in our heads, so they put him on the second pairing if things are going poorly. Like, that can't happen. He's your bottom pairing guy or he's your extra. He's not a top four guy. That's all I'm saying.
0: Yeah, and and the the top four, you know, classification is, is I don't know, minutes-wise, it doesn't always line up, but it's if you're playing with one of the best players and, like I've just said, the best defenseman on the team, that's a top four role. So, yeah, he shouldn't be playing in that role. Um, I'll pivot this. We were going to talk about McEwen next, but we will get to him and just the, the forward core and all that. Uh, let's talk about Tyler Clevin. He won the Jonathan Petra Award uh, for, for hardest worker at development camp for the Senators this week. We didn't really catch much of development camp. Saw some clips, obviously. It's, it's it's a great week, weekend, whatever you want to call it, for the prospects and for all the guys who get drafted. You know, it's right after the draft. It's good to get it to Ottawa. They went to the Red Blacks gate or uh, practice, whatever it is, and their workouts there. Like, it's, it's a great like, vibe, I guess, for the city. Uh, for for the prospects to to understand the city and all that. Um, And then the the award for the hardest worker goes out to Tyler Clevin this year. And it's perfect because he's a guy, you know, David Bell went on the Locked On Senators podcast and was talking about the relationship he has at these development camps. And with a lot of the top prospects, he he actually had a great quote. He said um, he doesn't want to get to know Tyler Clevin too much because Tyler Clevin, and I've I've just realized now I've spelt that wrong, in Tyler Kelvin, uh, but Tyler Klevin doesn't want to, you know, uh, uh, make the AHL. He's trying to make the NHL. So if he's trying to make the NHL, let's slot him in. You got a choice between Travis Hammondick, Tyler Clevin, and Jacob Bernard Docker. Who are you taking on that bottom pair before camp even happens?
1: Well, I still like Bernard Docker. Um, I think that he would do well with Brandstrom specifically as well, but uh Dorian again like if we're talking about Dorian lying not that this would technically be a lie like it's not a lock but he said it's Bernard Docker's spot to lose and at this point with JBD like it's make it or don't you know like that's yeah he said it twice actually um but at this point like if Bernard Docker can't make it then he's basically done I mean they can't keep waiting for him because in my mind I think that as a defenseman and a young defenseman uh Clevin would be best served with a year in the AHL uh Like this is awesome to see that he won the award, and that's I know Parker Kelly won that twice. He ended up working his way from undrafted to to playing in the NHL. I think he played fifty six games last year. Um, but yeah, Clevin is a guy who I see high potential for, and I think he will be a mainstay on their third pairing behind some of those bigger names like Shabbat, Sanderson, Clevin. That's a ridiculously good left side, and, and Clevin obviously he brings that third pairing physicality and the brute force that everybody loves. Uh, and I think he will be a mainstay there, but I still think he's, what, 20, 20 years old, 21? Uh, like in the AHL, man, like that typically young defenseman, they need that at least one year at pro level hockey. Like he hasn't played in, in the pro leagues yet, aside from those eight games last year. So he did look great in those games, and I think he should be warranted the opportunity to earn their bottom pairing role. Like he should have a fair shot during camp, and I think his odds increased with this past development camp. Like he really impressed, but I still think that a year would be good for him in the AHL. Uh, maybe he gets called up for injuries. I'm sure they'll have injuries on that back end based on the history. So, yeah, he could be definitely a recall guy, but I think you go with Bernard Docker to start. Hammeneck is the seven. If JBD's struggling, get Clevin up there and boot JBD out. Like, it's got to be a short leash because you can't have somebody who's screwing your lineup up in a year where it's playoffs or bust, right? Like, it has to be playoffs or bust. So, get the best player in there. But I, I do think that Clevin's development would be best served with a year in the HL.
0: I think so too, but it's tough after watching those eight games, man, he was, he was so good at moving the puck, like way better than I thought it would be. Um, I think his underlyings were really, really good too, which is, which is, I don't want to say surprising, but um, it's it, as a rookie and as a guy coming up and just playing a few games on in sheltered role in a sheltered role um, it's impressive. And, and they've got options, which is again, why I think signing Hamanik and adding Matt and Palo or whatever, like it's just, it's, it's, puzzling like i said the Hamnick thing because yeah you want you want a year for tyler clevin in the ahl ideally you do and but it's just it's just now there's a log jam all of a sudden and maybe that's why they gave brands from one year maybe that's maybe it was the team just saying one year and that's that's fine um but i really love the upside that clevin brought and i think the last three four months of his development have been huge obviously right winning the hardest worker Um, not to say he was the, it doesn't mean he was the best at camp, but showed the hardest work. And we know this team values that a lot and DJ and Pierre do a lot. So, um, it's nothing to, to, you know, brush to the side. Um, but yeah, the, the, the bottom pair this season, I don't think it'll obviously it never is in the NHL and never, you know, it's never the same six guys playing all 82 games. It's going to be a revolving door. It'll be interesting to see how it kind of, it, it unfolds when we talk a lot about when, when Shabbat or Chikrin or whoever goes down. For a couple of games, Branstrom will be able to step in, play their role on the power play, whatever it is. Then you need a guy who can come in and play Branstrom's role, right? And that'll be Tyler Clevin, I think. Really, it really will. Um, and, and I like the idea of him being that depth option. He won't be the scratch. It'll either be a regular in the lineup or the AHL. And I like that. I think it's smart.
1: Yeah, I think I just think he's great as the injury option, like the injury recall, because I think he can come in and I mean I want to see what he can do over a longer stint. I know we can't really waste time experimenting here, but those eight games kind of earned him more opportunity in the NHL. Like, that was really impressive, and I agree. That was my main takeaway from him was that he was moving the puck so well. Like, I thought he'd come in, and he'd be this, yeah, he'd be physical, and he'd, he'd stand out with his size, but I didn't think he'd move the puck like that. His decision-making, too, like, I went back and watched a lot of the film on him, and he just, like, he would really read the ice well, and that's rare for a young defenseman coming from, a you know, the NCAA, which is a good men's league, but it's, it's slower. Like, the pace is different. You come into the NHL, and it's a lot faster you have less time to react, you've got hard four checkers on you, he was handling it so well, like he was not making mistakes, so I mean, it's hard, because you have to respect his development, but at the same time, if he's the best defenseman in camp, out of those names you listed, like if he's out, out playing JBD and Hamannick, which I honestly think he could be, like I really do, then like how do you send him to the AHL if he's out playing them in camp, and and he was one of the better players at dev camp as well, um, I have to say, like that Clevin-Brandstrom pairing with Brandstrom on the right side, that is very... I, I mean, I like that. That's very appealing. It's a nice complement of size with the smaller Brandstrom, but he can move the puck really well, and they both can. Like He's the ideal stylistic fit as a partner for Brandstrom, where he comes in and he's that reliable defenseman, and then you've got Brandstrom who can kind of bank on him to pass and stuff and, and be in position, but he can more focus on his offensive game, which he's never been able to. Like He's been partnered with Holden and, and with these depth guys, uh, which he can't really like unleash himself. So... Yeah, I'm hoping that Clevin can, can step up and earn a full-time role this year, but I will be cautiously optimistic with him just because he's a young defenseman and that, that's kind of how it should be with them, I think. And even though Ottawa needs to win, uh, we do have to also make sure we don't screw up anybody's development along the way.
0: Yeah, and if, if this team, this this rebuild and everything has done one thing right, it's, it's development pass. We can't really knock anything they've done with any of their top end prospects. And I would consider Clevin a top end prospect right now. So um, yeah and also in terms of all those depth guys he's the only one on a two-way deal he also makes what 120,000 hundred and twenty thousand more than uh, jbd in the nhl so that's obviously gonna if it's between the two of them and you're right up against the cap you're taking the guy with 800k so yeah he won't be a scratch i think it'll be a pretty steady revolving door between jbd and hammock when they're all healthy i think that's just how it's gonna go um so yeah it'll be interesting to follow i think that's a the blue line like like i've said and like we both said it's a strength of this team now, which is awesome to say. Finally, we can talk about it. That the blue line is where they're at their strongest right now, um, and 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 d- deepest or most like there's the most depth is on the blue line, which is crazy to say too. Um, so let's pivot to the forwards and Zach McEwen. I don't have a little headline for it, but I got a headline to follow the uh, headline that I'm just going to say. Uh, Zach McEwen is a enforcer who played in Philly last year. Was traded to LA at the deadline played a few games, played one playoff game for them. He signs a three-year deal for 775000 a year, which is league minimum at the moment. Um, low risk, but three years is interesting. So just first, what are your thoughts on him just being signed in general, even before talking about the term?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I actually like the signing. I know people were getting getting pretty angry about it on Twitter. I didn't really sense anger. I mean, I didn't feel any anger. I felt like He's a guy, and I'll say this, he does not offer much aside from his toughness and, and physicality. He does throw a lot of hits, and he's a big guy. I think he's 6'3", 205, something like that. Uh, and he fights a lot. I don't know if he wins a lot of fights, but he does fight a lot. I think part of it is keeping Brady out of the box. Like, now you've got someone who can come in. I think a large part of it was that Toronto signed Ryan Reeves for three years, uh, and then Boston got Lucic, and there was one more, unfortunate that came in the division as well that I'm blanking on. But yeah, like this division is gritty the Atlantic is going to be gritty it's going to be tough they're going to have a lot of physicality and a lot of opponents who are not willing to you know are not uh, not going to shy away from laying the body on our stars like you saw Montreal targeting Tim Stutzla a couple years ago where they were just going at him over and over like you can't let that happen but you also can't let Brady take a five minute penalty you know every second game like (laughs) you need Brady on the ice so this is a guy who I think is the 13th forward and this is where my one concern came up is the exact same with Hamannick. It's almost like the same situation, but on offense, where McEwen should be the 13th forward. He should not be penciled in on the fourth line. Like, I'm hoping they don't see him as just a pure Austin Watson replacement, because he's not. Like, he, he does not penalty kill. He I think he's averaged, like, literally zero minutes on the penalty kill, and zero seconds through his entire career. He also doesn't block a lot of shots, which is bizarre. He's blocked, like, less, way less than a, a shot per game over his entire career. So, I don't know exactly what that's all about, but... He is a guy who can step in, I think, and at least like try to nullify a Ryan Reeves when you're playing Toronto or, or you know, I think that's kind of his role is to be plugged in when the matchup calls for it. When you're going to be playing a team who averages among the most hits and physicality and penalty minutes in the league, you can throw him in there and rely on him to do the fighting instead of Brady, right? Like that's how I see it. Um this year in Philly was the first time he averaged more than 10 minutes a game, and that's because Philly was really bad and trying to lose. <laughs> um but again, like at, at 775. No real issue here. Like, it's a league minimum contract. I am just going to say, like, I hope we like him because three years is a long time to go if you don't like somebody. But he doesn't have a no movement clause like Hammond. He could always be buried in the minors if need be uh, or claimed off waivers. I don't think that would happen. But um I mean, I'm fine with it. Like, I'm not upset. I don't think, I know people were upset with Pierre because he's misevaluated depth in the past and their pro scouting hasn't been good. And McEwen, like, analytically, he's one of the worst players in the league just based on what he gives you on the ice. But we're going to talk about it. He provides that level of toughness and that sense of grit. And, and like when he's on the ice, players have to keep their head up, right? Like that's kind of how, how he, he is. So when you're playing the physicality, and maybe if they get to the playoffs, they could plug him in and do that Chris Neal role from a couple of years ago or from 2017. Um, that's the type of guy who would do that. Go take out Tanner Glass. Like that's his role. He's not somebody who's going to contribute points, but uh, he does add uh, an important level of toughness, which Mark Mathot would be happy to tell you all about on Twitter and call you out if you don't believe so.
0: I was just going to mention the thought. Yeah. So it's more, you know, I tweeted out that I think it's a great signing in the context of this team likes to have an enforcer out there. It's not a secret the last few years with, especially under DJ, it's been, it's been a staple. Um, you know, I, I think it's an Austin Watson replacement replacement to me, but you're right. He's not He will not be playing every game. He won't be. And unless he has a stellar camp and he's changed kind of what he does, he won't be. And I remember, especially in that 2021 year, he was on Vancouver, so the Sens saw him a lot. He fought Brady a couple of times. And you get him so that Brady doesn't have to do what he did against McHugh, and It's kind of awkward, but it's that's the thing. It's like, yeah, obviously the game is changing. Fighting isn't as much of a part of it. Not every team has a huge enforcer. But like you mentioned, the Atlantic Division is beefing up. The Leafs got a guy. And the Leafs are the team you're trying to catch, the team you're trying to be and trying to beat at the end of the day. If they get Ryan Reese for three years, having an enforcer is important. And and if people don't like that, that's fine. But with the philosophy that the Sens are going by, this is a great signing. It's a cheaper, younger, and better enforcer than Austin Watson was. And you can't really argue that. I think it's pretty obvious. Now, Watson probably overall is a better player right now. He he actually had 19 goals the last few years. Not that bad, 9 and 10. Um, When you think about it, you know, when you talk about depth and stuff like that that's that's decent for a fourth line player at at even strength um McEwen won't give you 10 goals next year he probably won't but if he can go into games where they're playing a Ryan Reeves or they're playing I don't know a Tom Wilson on the Capitals or something like that it's just incentive to not not that they're not going to run the Sens stars because that's going to happen because the Sens are a physical team they're going to bring that out of their their opponents it's you don't need Brady to be the one who answers the bell. If someone's chirping on the bench, when Brady's on the bench saying you won't, you won't go, you won't go, whatever. Brady doesn't have to now because he's the, he was the best fighter on the team. I'd say McEwen's better than him. Probably. I don't know because that's what he does. And like you said, Kachuk is way too valuable. Now he's the captain. He is the second best player on your team right now. He needs to be on the ice. He absolutely does. He makes the team better. So having him sit in the box for five minutes at even strength, not ideal. And They've been preaching for years. They don't want them fighting. Don't want them fighting. But when your enforcer is Austin Watson, you're not going to be able to fight. You're, you're, you're sorry, you're going to have to have Brady fight. And I know a lot of people mention, oh, you know, Haminick can fight. And um like people mention a bunch of other just big guys or like Clevin can fight. Like, it's not just about being a big guy. I don't think McEwen's huge. He's not huge. It's the role they play. And that's kind of where I was coming from. It's 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 like, I I know he's not great analytically. He doesn't have great numbers. He's not a fantastic, he's not a play driver on the fourth line. And ideally, yeah, you want the Sens to go by the the uh, Seattle Kraken method and just have four, four different second lines, essentially, right? That can all drive play, play 10 to 15 a night, put in 20 goals each. Um, that's the ideal scenario. But if they're going by the philosophy of having an enforcer on your fourth line as your 13th forward, this is a great, great deal. I think, This is where term makes sense to me. Just just why not match what the Leafs did with Reeves? Why not? It's cheaper and he's a good fighter too. And he's younger. Makes so much sense to me.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And and I I still don't think he should be a mainstay on the fourth line just because, you know, he should be the guy who kind of is in that revolving door as well, who comes in and out. I would like to see them and I'm sure they will, but add another depth piece or two. Like, I think they need to do that still. Um, Yeah, but McEwen, I mean, analytically it doesn't really matter like he's a fourth line enforcer that's what he is there's not even that much more to say about him because that's literally what he is he he does not drive play or anything but my one issue with him is the penalty killing I do wish he had some experience penalty killing just because you want those bottom six guys to do it like I said though this really should be like in my mind he should just be someone who you you look at who you're playing that night and you say okay are they gonna push us around are they gonna like take shots at us so you know who are we playing who do they have in the lineup the way Mathot puts it, and obviously Mathot was uh I mean he was a good defenseman, but he was a bit of an enforcer himself. Uh, he was a punishing like hitter and a big guy. Like the way he puts it is when that guy is not even just on the ice, but in the lineup, it makes everyone else aware of it. Like everyone on the other team knows he's on that bench. And if they try something, they try some BS, he's gonna hop on the ice next shift and he's gonna take it to them. Like that's exactly what it is. And even if he if he doesn't do that, like it's just the thought, the idea of knowing that, okay, I gotta watch myself here because if I do something. Like, they've got a guy who's going to take a run at me. So, that's really what it is. And when he's on the ice, like, going into the corner, the opponents have to kind of be wary, and they start to get in their own head. Like, he is that type of guy, and he does hit a lot. So, that's good. Um, calling Watson an enforcer is, is hardly even true, because he's basically, like, Watson is not a huge guy either, I don't think. I mean, he looks awfully skinny. Uh, I've never looked at his actual height and weight, but he's pretty pretty frail um and he's not a good fighter I think he might have won one fight in his entire tenure in Ottawa and that might not even be true like he lost almost every fight and he probably fought like I don't even know he fought multiple times a year but he was not a good fighter I don't think he's the type of guy who the opponent looks at and is like yeah I shouldn't take a run because Austin Watson's gonna come punch me like no they're like yeah come at me Austin like uh, it's one punch and he's down right so yeah, you get the...
0: Well, that's the thing, right? We we shouldn't just be saying being a bad fighter is you don't need to win the fight. Mm-hmm. Like I don't I could care less about winning a fight. It's yep. it's literally about the intimidation factor if you're going by that philosophy again. And I'm not saying I disagree or agree with it either way, but my thought was right. It's it's if McEwen is on the bench for a game, let's say against I'm I'm just picking teams off by ra- like, randomly here, but like against the uh the LA Kings and they've got uh, Brendan Lemieux, I think, on that team, right? I think he's on the Kings still, or he's in the farm he's a free system. Agent whatever.
1: Now he's not anywhere.
0: Oh well, I mean, stop biting our <laughs> captain. Maybe, maybe, yeah. There you go. He's a brickhead. Um, but guys like that, right, on good teams, who will be put in the lineup if they're running around finishing their checks on Tim Stutzle? Let's talk about Montreal. Arbor Jackey finishing his check, and who's who's a great fighter. He'll be he'll be thinking twice about it, knowing that he's got a good matchup against McEwen. If if the bell gets if he has to answer the bell because before like you mentioned watson wasn't good and it's not about winning a fight it's just he was not good at competing and he wasn't putting fear into anyone when he was fighting which is fine too because i i honestly do think watson was serviceable for what he did but they could upgrade and i don't see this as an upgrade on him it's a replacement for the role the sens wanted watson to play
1: and it's cheaper. and I,
0: I think it's perfect it's cheaper younger better fighter like if, if and i yeah I, I got some pushback on that tweet but it's just that that's how i see it It's 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 just a a all round better replacement for that role that they wanted him to play. Um, And I, 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 I see nothing but good things. And, you know, my thought was very blunt about what he said. I think he was just saying, you know, you don't get it if you didn't play and like he's, he's, he's right. Probably I never played at a level with fighting, but if I did and I was a skill guy and it's not about worried about getting hit. It's just, you know, that if you get hit once, Buddy, like, you know, McEwen's going to notice it, mention to, to whoever it is who ran me, be like, do that one more time, we're fighting. And they won't touch Tim Stutzel again that night. That's the key. And that's absolutely important uh, in the context, especially, I don't think people understand the style the sends play, the hard hitting, everyone hits, Stutzel throws the body a lot too. If they're doing that, they're going to get people who want to fight them and want to hit them back. But if you have this enforcer in your lineup at all, even if he's in the press box, like let's be real here, it's just a safety net. It's nice, you know? I, I would imagine he'll play once against every team this year, like 41 games whatever it is. He'll play once against every team, probably the first time they play. Just set the tone. He's there. Don't touch our, our stars. Don't touch Josh Norris. Um, And actually, PK, that actually reminds me. PK, I'd like him to be able to play PK. I do want the bottom six guys there, but Stutzel, Norris, Joseph, those guys are all going to be killing penalties. Whoever else is in the bottom six is probably going to be and doing those the be a good penalty killer, too. Pinto, like that's four right there. That's four guys who you can roll out over the boards. They don't take a ton of penalties themselves, um, so I'm not that worried about it. Because honestly, let's be real, I didn't let Austin Watson on there for most of the time anyway. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I, it's not a, you know, the headline here for for those watching on YouTube is toughness versus skill, and it's not really about that. It's, it really isn't. And there's going to be nights probably where, I don't know your venti plays on the fourth line and in place of McEwen. like it might just not work out it might but like you said if it doesn't it's variable you can bury that contract you can put them in the ahl put them on waivers whatever it is um because they didn't give him a no movement clause
1: yeah and that's exactly it um i know locked on they put out a, a little poll it was over or under i think 60.5 games for McEwen this year so you're on the under then heavily
0: I mean I guess I that was just kind of a off the off the yeah. cuff kind of thing it's just more of a policing thing but I would say around health permitting probably just under 50 that'd be my guess.
1: Yeah, my guess would be about half the games like that that's what I kind of hope anyway cuz I am okay with him being put into the lineup like I the last thing I want to see and you know like I'm not huge on the whole toughness thing all the time. Uh, I do think that like analytics matter and whatnot but like the last thing I want to see is Otto's stars go out there and start to get you know people running at them because they're you know they don't have that guy in the lineup. That's that's the worst thing that could happen. So I do want to see him in the lineup on a you know I I don't know every few games I'd say would be a good like that's fine with me whatever you know send the message. But as a whole, it's the same with Hamonic. It's I need DJ to not like make me go crazy because these last few years the Zaitsev thing I can't get over. I will never get over it even when DJ's gone. I can't get over him pairing Shabbat in his developmental years with Nikita Zaitsev. I just hated that. And he just kept doing it too. And then Sanderson with Hamannik, like this year, and we can all say it doesn't matter. They weren't supposed to be good. That's fine. They're going to like, they have to be good now. So like if McEwen's in the lineup and when he's in like Watson, Ottawa's fourth line is getting hemmed in their own zone every single shift and they are terrible. Like you have to adjust. I mean, I know you need to send a message, but it has to be to an extent. Like he's had a negative goal differential at five V five in, in, four of his five career seasons. So I'm not saying that that's, like, the case. And obviously, he would start in more defensive situations. But you just have to be able to recognize when something's not working. And that fourth line last year was bad. Like, they got hemmed in constantly every shift to the point where the other coach was, like, trying to match up with Ottawa's fourth line, just trying to screw them because they were so, like, so easily beatable, right? They were just lost on the ice. So McEwen liked the signing. I like the guy. He seems like a, a really, like, he's one of those character guys like Hamenek who it seems like the team's going to love him in the room. Uh, And he's going to be here for three years. So like I said, hopefully he becomes a fan favorite because it's going to be a painful three years if he's one of those guys. It's also why I don't want DJ to play him constantly is because people will very quickly turn on a player if DJ is like basically screwing them. Like if he's like Hamannick in the top four last year, if he's overusing somebody to the point where it's negatively impacting them, people and the fans are going to not like the player for it. So I'm hoping McEwen can kind of come into his role as the 13th guy, accept that. DJ accepts it. We get somebody else for the fourth line. McEwen can come in for injuries too like he can be on that fourth line he can move everybody up um that's fine but if that's the case it's going to be a fun three years because he is the guy that can punish people and you can go watch his, his fights on I think hockeyfights.com or whatever uh it's just got all of his fights and, and I haven't even really watched it I, I don't know if he's actually a good fighter or not but he is still he's a relatively big guy 6'3 205 and and uh he's someone who is not scared to throw the the knuckles right so regardless it's a fine signing they've got their toughness that's the first thing I posted on Instagram when I saw it because I was at work, but I saw that and I said, yeah, we got our toughness. Like, that's it. Ryan Reeves signed in Toronto for three years. We got McEwen for, I think, four hundred dollars to $450,000 cheaper, and, and we got him. I'm fine with that. Like, I'm happier with that than I would have been with Reeves.
0: Yeah, we're gearing up here for a Leafs-Send series. It's going to happen, folks. Let's just accept it. It's, it's it's in the cards, maybe not next year, but eventually it's going to happen. And the Leafs added grit and toughness this offseason. That's what they did. They got Domi, Rattuzzi, and Reeves. That's what they're trying to go for. Yeah. They're Bertuzzi a great player. He played in the top six, but he's, he's a rat and they needed more of that. So the sends, they don't need to match it because they're not, you know, neck and neck all the time, but that's the plan they want to be, they want to be top three in the division. So of course they would add the same kind of sandpaper stuff. So yeah, it makes, makes sense. My first thought was it's a Ryan Reeves match. I thought that was, was pretty obvious. The three year thing made the most sense and that's why it happened. Um, yeah. And, and, This all hinges, though, on how good the top three lines are. We've talked a lot about the depth and stuff like that. We've talked a lot about mixing and matching the top nine and all that, how you need to be able to do that. So, again, it comes back to whatever the DeBrinckit return is. If it's two middle six guys and then they sign a Tarasenko, we're having a much different conversation about Zach McEwen. But if it's in the context of Dylan Gambrell as your third-line center with you know, Patrick Brown on the wing and then McEwen on the fourth line, they're screwed. And that happened because of injuries and long-term injuries, all of that. But um, this signing isn't made in that regard. It's made in the regard of we're going to still add pieces to our middle six that can help. Um, I would expect whatever the Brinkett trade is, I would expect the Sens to still add two guys who can play in the middle six, whether it's Tarasenko, Tatar, someone through trade with the at least two, maybe three if they can get more from Detroit, or whoever,
1: whoever. So, you think Debrinket they need, provides. like, with the holes in their lineup right now, they should add two more forwards? What do you think? Well, uh, a Debrinket replacement and two more forwards is what you're saying.
0: Yeah. So, let's say, let's say, you know, I'm in quotations because it's not obviously perfect, but Tarasenko replaces Debrinket. I think that's as close as it's going to get in terms of what, what's available. And then, because everyone's talking about it, it's Detroit seems like the front runner here. You get Berggren and, and, and Kubelik. Like, I that would that. be. Dude, that would be so good because you don't have to rush Ridley, Greg, and mm-hmm. you can. What that that would be same first line. You could go Tarasenko, Norris, Batherson, uh, Kubalik, Berggren, Pinto, and then like Joseph on your fourth line at that point, right? Like, yeah, is that too it's, much? If cap
1: compliant, I don't know. <laughs> right, I
0: don't know if it would be, but like, <laughs> like Kubalik would be would be perfect. Like, I'd even take Kubalik back instead of Berggren. But like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I think I think two pieces. Even so, let's say they get Berger, Berger and Kubalik and a pick without signing Tarasenko. That's still okay to me. Like it's if my you can...
1: perfect trade. That's the first mock I ever did for DeBrinket. That's yeah. exactly what I want right there. I don't know if they'll get yeah. that much though. Like, yeah. it's hard to tell. It's,
0: I'm so tired of speculating too. It's just, it's just so exhausting because I don't know. No one, no one knows. It's all what we want. If we're saying we, we will. I actually, you know what? What's funny? I think Sens fans are being extremely reasonable with mock trades that I've seen. I know you are. I know that um you know you know a lot of people are uh, red wings fans need a need a glass of reality uh, you're not getting alex debrinke signed for 8 years without giving up a roster player it's not going to happen the sens won't do that they'll the sens would rather take debrinke back move other money out somehow they would trade joseph and a first round pick to be cap compliant with debrinke they'd pinch pennies with shane pinto to be cap compliant with debrinke rather than taking back a first and a second. They need people on their roster for next season because Shocker Red Wings fans, the Sens are better than you right now, and they will be after this trade regardless of what happens. That's a, that's a fact. So I I think that, it, I mean, I shouldn't say that's a fact. If the trade happens, it will not make the Sens worse tomorrow as, as much as it might seem like that.
1: Well, and I know that we, and I know Ian wrote an article on it, but how like you're just trading in division and people shouldn't be scared of that. Um, and, and I agree, like, it's not a huge deal, but I still think it needs to be noted that we're trading. It's not just in division, it's not just in division though. It's with a team who's on like almost the same timeline as us. Like this is a team with how the playoff format works now who we're probably going to be playing against like they're This is like the Red Wings are what a year or two behind Ottawa as it stands in their rebuild kind of. And they've kind of like, I don't know what Iserman's doing with the whole signing, Cop and Comfort at like five year deals at ridiculous money, but and Justin Hall for three million a year. Like, it makes me happy. I mean, I hope they fail, but I'm just saying, if you're trading them a guy who, as Pierre has said, is probably going to rebound and score at least 30, 35 goals uh, and and maybe even 40 if he's playing with Larkin, like, if you're trading a guy to your rival who is not just a rival, but on the same contention window as you, and they're going to be in the playoffs sooner than later, like, you have to be careful. You can't just accept futures for that. Like, you have to take from their roster. So, I love Beregrin. Like, he really gets me excited. I, I'm hoping that he's involved. Um, Kuba League too, would be a, a great fit as a guy who could help right now. Um, Soderblom, 6'8". Yeah, Soderblom. Like, and he could play now. I think he played 30 games last year. Like, he was good. He was good. I yeah, like him. and it seems like Detroit is going to be the partner. Like, we can do a little DeBrinket update based on what we know as of July 7th. Um, I mean, it's like everybody's been saying. I mean, I know Martian has been, and he's got his sources. But David Pagnata too. I know Friedman also said, like, they're almost at the the end of it here. Like, they're right there. They're inching towards the finale. Um, It, it seems like it's going to happen in the next, I don't know, I'd say week. I don't actually know a timeline. But based on what all the insiders are saying, it seems like we're basically at this point maybe negotiating a contract for it. Like, that's where it seems like it's at Um, based on the reports. So we should be ready for an emergency pod over the next few days, I suppose. Uh, a little bit of a busy weekend, but I'm sure we'll make it work uh, if that happens. And yeah, I mean, with how long this is taking, I'm just hoping that Pierre is going to get the right return. Like with how long it's taking, surely he knows he's got to get the right pieces back. And if not, then, you know, you've got to just keep waiting and try and uh, maybe keep him for the year or whatever it might be. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited about the return here and I'm not going to stop updating Twitter. My life is on pause until Alex Dabrinkit is traded. It's just such a massive deal for the next, like next season. Like it really next season is so reliant on this trade. It's Kind of unbelievable to be honest with you like <laughs> there are so many marbles here in the bag so Pierre like come on get us a good return that's all I can say
0: yeah that's that's the hope um before we end it here I want to do a little uh mock lineup comparison I'm going to do a mock lineup top line comparison between Ottawa and Detroit like you mentioned they're on similar timelines I think the Sens hit on draft picks more than the Red Wings have so far you know obviously Cider has been great um Raymond is, is still promising. He just had a down year last year, but like the Sens have Stutzel, Sanderson, Kachuk that they've got to spear their re, um, you know, make their rebuild faster. So let's let's compare top lines because let's say debrinkett goes to Detroit. You've got De Brinkett at eight years, Larkin eight-year extension starts next year, too, and then uh Lucas Raymond on that top line. That would probably be their top three forwards. I don't know if they'll actually play together, but that's their top line versus the Senators with Brady Kachuk. Tim Stutzle, and I'm not going to use Claude Giroux because he's not gone, but two years from now, who knows? I'm just talking long-term first line. Um, so it Stutzel, go Kachuk, and Drake Batherson. What first line are you taking? And I know we're obviously going to be biased here. It's everyday Sens. I'm taking the Sens line 10 out of 10 times, and it's not even close.
1: Well, definitely, yeah. I mean, I would take Tim Stutzle over those three players. No, like, I, I just think Timmy's going to be, like, a top... I got to be careful. Like, a top fifteen player in the league. I mean, I think he's legitimately I think he breaks a hundred points this year. He's gonna be a premium player. He already is. He's 21 years old for God's sakes. Like I have their their lineup too pulled up on cap friendly. Like Larkin is a great player. He scored 32 goals and 79 points through 80 games this year. I mean he's 26. Tim is 21 and he scored 39 goals and 90 points this year in less games than Larkin. Like come on. I mean that's that's a huge upgrade right there. And when Tim's 26, what is his point total gonna be? It's going to be like 130 points like no i mean i'm being a bit bold but um i, I don't like raymond's coming off a down year i think that if you said bat you said batherson they're kind of similar i like raymond but uh kachuk then has in my mind a pretty substantial margin under brinkett as well just based on not just the points that he scored this year and everything but and, and i do like to Brinket, but like Brady's obviously got that size. He's got all the intangibles. Like He's your ultimate playoff guy, right? So for me, it's definitely Ottawa's top line over Detroit's.
0: The way I see it is, is probably this extension is probably going to make Debrinket the highest-paid player on the Red Wings long-term. I, I, Larkin signed it. You probably got to pull it up there. What, he's 8-point-something, 8.5? Uh, he maybe? is
1: 8.7. Oh. No, they're wow. going to be strapped, too, great. with the Debrinket deal. Goodness.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, I'm just... So that's... Debrinket is probably... I mean, honestly speculation here pure speculation the reported ask by to was 8.775 i'd imagine the holdup right now is the extension of that exact number i don't know if the red wings want to give him more than the captain but it's probably right around there so anyway the fact that that trade would make to break it on their top line and yeah it's, it's it's a worthy conversation what top line would you rather blah 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 especially with jeru out of the picture but you know the the Funny thing is that to was on the sends. he was here and couldn't be better than Brady Kachuk. So I'm taking the sends 10 out of 10 times. We're trading our second line winger to be your first line winger. That's how I see it. Um, it shouldn't hinder either team. Really? I don't think it'll make either team that much better, but it can just be, a, it should be a lateral move for both. I would think
1: for sure. It should And I've just got this red wings lines here pulled up on cap friendly. Um, I mean, looking at this lineup, I'm just, uh, I'm so, and I'm biased, but I'm so much in favor of Ottawa. Uh, I'm sorry, but I mean, right now it's hard to even say because Ottawa doesn't really have a second line left wing or third line players or a fourth line. Like there's just so many holes in the center right now, but I just think that their core is so much better than a lot of these other teams that are around them. Like Detroit has some very enticing prospects too, who I'm sure will end up earning NHL roles, but you look at Ottawa's core. And you look at, like you said, Kachuk, Stutzla, Batherson, But then you go to defense, and Norris is included there too. It's I always forget about Norris. Most people do because he didn't play last year. But you've got Shabbat, Sanderson, Chikrin, and Chikrin's going to be signed long-term, I would assume. That is a pretty insane core. And now Corpusallo is, is kind of part of it too, to be honest with you, for at least four years. Um, that's a really good core. Like I, I need to go through and actually compare Ottawa's core uh, under-26-year-old players or 26-and-under-year-old players to some of the other teams that are on competing timelines, because I think that they have to be, like, surely their top three. I mean, this core has so much skill, but it's also got the size. It's got the playoff ability. Like, they're built for the playoffs. That's how I've always seen the players they've acquired, except for Dabrinkit based on the size, if we're going to talk like that. But, like, that's why I'm just so desperate to see them in the playoffs, is I think they're built for it. I think they're the team who could be the Florida Panthers who surprise. Like, that's the type of team that I see um, based on just how their lineup is built. And it starts with Brady Kachuk. Like. Like, do you see them the same way? Do you think they're going to be one of those kind of built for the playoff teams? I just, I don't think they're a soft lineup is kind of how I'm putting it.
0: No, they, they really are. And we've had a lot of conversations just about, yeah, it's great that they're built for the playoffs and it's, it's all this Brandstrom, you know, there's, there's probably going to be a lot of Brandstrom versus Clevin discourse this season I'm imagining. And like, ideally playoff wise, probably Clevin, but at the same time, the rest of the Sens core, the way Tim Stutzel plays hockey is so perfect to me. Like, he plays a heavy game, he's a big kid and he's so skilled like he's he's such a fun hockey player to watch. Um, so yeah, it's interesting, you know what we should do this this summer when we get into the dog days in August and if you're you know when you're tuning in here, subscribe so you can stay tuned for this content. Uh, is is a comparison lineup comparison when everything's kind of set in stone of, of a core comparison, let's say with Detroit with Buffalo and with New Jersey because I think those are the three other teams that are on the same timeline um buffalo is interesting because buffalo like i i am that's a tough one i think buffalo has a a, a I don't, i'm not gonna say better i think it, it it's you can go back and forth being oh yeah you know tage thompson and tim stutzel who's better and then kachuk and whoever well it doesn't Dylan help that they just
1: drafted benson who's lighting up like all the uh, highlights on my twitter feed now i'm like really and, at 13 like him at 13? last
0: year uh, like they've just got these studs I, i'm jealous undersized. of that pool. Yeah, that'll be a problem in maybe two three years. I'm saying next season because Buffalo finished one point out of the playoffs and they uh, bolstered their blue line a little bit, but didn't make any huge moves anyway. Their uh, goaltending is the
1: one question. I think they're going to rely on Levi, which is a bit risky as a young goalie.
0: It is risky. Yeah, yeah. I guess they are. They didn't. Uh, they didn't want Corpusalo, or maybe, maybe just maybe Corpusalo chose Ottawa over Buffalo. We'll never know. Uh, that could be. We're we're in different times here. Uh, obviously, we didn't even mention Michael Anlauer was at uh, development camp. Nice shots of him. Good pictures of some fans. He looks great. He looks like he's ready to be an Ottawa Senator for life. Um, so it's good to see. A lot of go- a lot of stuff going on. Hopefully by this weekend, sometime, maybe even after this drops, uh, Alex Debrinko will be traded. We will be there live to break it down whenever it happens at some point this weekend. We will also be back for episode 23 on Monday. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Again, we're trying to hit 1,000 subscribers by the training camp or by the opener in October. Uh, so we will hopefully see you all there. So uh, thank you everyone for joining and we'll see you on Monday.